In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Back on June 23rd, Britney Spears spoke to a Los Angeles judge and requested that her conservatorship be terminated. For over 13 years, she alleged that she has been subjected to numerous psych evaluations, medications, and trauma. Now, we are not TMZ, and we don't want to dive into rumors and speculation, but her stepping forward could lift the veil off of many of the subjective flaws in the mental health system. On today's podcast, we use the Free Britney movement as a launch pad to discuss the labeling of psychiatric diagnoses, recovery, and restricting a client's individual freedoms when they are suffering from a mental health episode. Hey guys, Roger, hey. Kelly. Kelly, I like your, uh, your t-shirt today. Thank you. Distinguished educator. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't like bragging, but sometimes I like to wear a shirt that shows it. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I don't know you guys, but um, I do not watch TMZ. Um, I'm not into everything that's been going on. But uh, recently in the news, uh, this Britney Spears conservatorship um, news came out. And um, I wasn't really familiar about it, but I started looking into a conservatorship uh, and what what it exactly means and, and what she's been under for the th last 13 years. And, and boy, as I started reading through it, a lot of questions started coming up about how this happens. Um, and, and knowing what we, uh, what I've just learned over the last couple months, and we've touched on it in previous podcasts about assessments that are happening, uh, psychiatry and psychology and, and the subjective nature of that boy, it made me think, how can we dive into this to understand how maybe she fell into this and and how easy it could be for any of us to get these labels assigned to us and um, and an idea of a conservatorship being placed upon somebody. Um, I'm interested in what you guys think about this. So let's go into it. Yeah, I had the same concerns that you did. I was appalled by her loss of individual rights and some of the things that were forced upon her, including uh, psychiatric medications for a defined illness. Mm-hmm as well as loss of her ability to uh, take care of her own uh, finances. And I think the most shocking for a lot of us who started to read some of this news was the forced IUD to prevent her from being able to have children. And it brought up the general societal concern. So as a psychologist, one of the purposes of having this podcast is to educate the public. And we are in a dangerous point in society where we have an astronomical rise in psychiatric disorders, identified illnesses, and prescription drugs. And so it, it behooves us all to be able to look into some of the history here about how psychiatric diagnoses have been defined and how they were developed, mm -hmm. because there's an assumption that there are clear, discrete illnesses with biological markers and 
uh, biological medical tests to identify them because it's dangerous. We have people that are being told that they need to be on medication for life and that illness is something that would be chronic. So the concern here is let's look at that moment in time for Britney Spears because I watched the documentary last night. Yeah, you know, I, I started watching it. I got about halfway through and uh, it was probably getting to the part where things were just about to get interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to what, what your thoughts are about what she was going through. So at let's that time. backtrack just a little bit. Yeah. I don't pay attention to popular culture for a reason, mm-hmm. right? One <laughs> of the reasons being is that, well, and I watched the documentary, so we will get into that. But one of the reasons being is I have, I just feel the less I, I, I watch media, the less I pay attention to things like TMZ and other mm-hmm. people's lives and comparing my life to theirs, the better off I'm going to be. I am. Uh, when did this all begin? Let's start with that. When Britney Spears, the last time I had really focused on the name Britney Spears or when I was paying attention, she had shaved her head. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I remembered also. Yep. So let's go back, and it's so important when you identify any psychiatric, psychological condition is to consider context. Yeah. So I watched this documentary last night, mm-hmm. and I don't think anyone can put them, themselves in the shoes of a celebrity to the degree Britney Spears was at that particular time. Yep. So if you try to understand what is normal and expected based on culture and context, nobody can really understand that. She couldn't leave her home without being surrounded by paparazzi. Paparazzi who would get sometimes $1 million for her photo. Mm -hmm. She was constantly scrutinized for her appearance and her body. And when she did enter into a relationship and eventually got married to Kevin Federline, Mm -hmm. that was um, mainstream news. And their children were subjected to infringements on their their privacy and their personal rights her body as a mother after giving birth was scrutinized she was called names like whore um government officials could comment on how she presented herself in public and Mm -hmm. its impact on females and so this is a fishbowl that she lived in that no one could really understand what it would be like to live in that fishbowl so then she shaves her head which can be viewed from one perspective as kind of fighting against this idea of who she is supposed to be and how her brand image was developed and all this attention to her appearance. It was kind of like you to everything. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are part of her team and you have financially devoted yourself to her brand and you, you benefit from her ability to build that brand It is easy to view that behavior as erratic. It's easy to view that behavior potentially as manic. And we had a previous podcast, Kelly, where you told your story and you were going through a breakup at the time and you were very quickly diagnosed with bipolar. Yeah, 15 minutes. And it was really concerning that in that context for Britney Spears, her behavior at that time, although potentially, you know, could be viewed as erratic, but it's also in response to a stressor Mm -hmm. and how one responds to such extreme stress varies. And to simplify that and identify it as some biological illness without scientific support or backing and requiring somebody to be placed on a psychiatric medication that in itself can, can 
creates significant, severe, life-interfering side effects is really problematic. And the thing about diagnosing mania is concerning to clinicians in general because it's such a broad category. And what can be viewed as manic is up to the individual's interpretation often about what is considered normal. But more importantly, those side effects of drug abuse, how someone responds to to stress, sleep deprivation, can allow someone to present for a short period of time in what could be broadly considered a manic state. Now, try to understand the implications of that. If she's provided this diagnosis of bipolar, which millions of people are wrongly diagnosed as this condition, and then you're placed on a medication by the court system, that also lacks strong validity and has safety concerns. And you lost your ability to take care of your own career and your own decision-making over your own body. That should be of concern to all of us. But there are obviously when you go through the documentary, you see that there's a lot of other concerns, a lot of other problems. Like Mm -hmm. you grow up in that type of environment in Hollywood. There's a bit of a developmental arrest there, right? You're very controlled. You're pushed into the spotlight. At some points, you know, a lot of people who are in Hollywood go through stages and they're out partying and they're out, you know, pushing the limits, especially if they felt constrained as a childhood actor or a pop star. And so you can definitely see her well, they're, going through they're those stages. They're doing a lot of the things that everybody does. They're just under the camera. Now that's a great point. Yeah. Right. So if the camera was on us to the extent that it was oh, on dear her. Lord. <laughs> My, my right. goodness, I would never be employed. Think never it, be employed. Me too. Like, th- <laughs> think about the vulnerability to judgment. Yes. And then trying to label that behavior and the power you're giving somebody to label and judge your behavior mm-hmm. and then identifying it as an illness that questions your competency. But she was, she was irritated by the lack of control, Right. The lack, of, so, lack okay. of personal so if we control. Go, we go back to mania mm-hmm. and we look at that. Aren't people allowed? Like what I was, I was irritated with my own life. Yeah. I get diagnosed in 15 minutes for an irritation. Is it being irritated at things suddenly such a, you know, a mental health problem that people can't be irritated? You can't be irritated at all. I just, you know, I'm curious as to that. It, it angered me a bit watching the documentary. She just seemed irritated at what was happening with her life and no one was willing to, Listen to that. In fact, I'll go a step further. Matt Lauer, the creep that he is, sits there in an interview and he's he's like exposing her that she shouldn't be acting this way. She should only be saying thankful things about her life and how can you be this way? How can you even question anything? Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, no one would want her life. Mm. Well, I think one of the questions you bring up is, uh, you know, how does one define, you know, normal? And my concern about the field of psychiatry is they're rather arbitrary designations on what is normal. I tweeted this out today because um, I think it's really important. And you can throw Britney Spears into broadly into that ca- category. Um, and it's hard to talk about someone, you know, as rich and famous as Britney Spears and in any kind of terms of like abuse or or oppression but like generally speaking this isn't too uncommon that victims of violence abuse oppression control when they react to those stressful conditions they're vulnerable to being mislabeled with a psychiatric illness and the actual treatment can mimic 
the actual oppression that exists. For example, you know, forced to be on pharmaceutical interventions that can make you really sick. And those reactions become then more misinterpreted as greater signs that you're mentally ill and incompetent and can't take care of yourself. So you're giving up more individual liberty, individual freedom, and you're not anywhere closer on that path towards recovery. So let's imagine you were Britney Spears at that time. Mm -hmm. You're in your mid-20s. You're just entering into adulthood. You're trying to define a life for yourself, but it's in the public eye. You really were robbed of your childhood and your innocence. You were placed on covers of magazines. You were sexualized in a way Mm -hmm. before you were ready. And now you have the current, the constant judgment and um, infringement on your own personal freedom and rights with paparazzi. So you begin to understandably struggle during that time. And maybe a little bit of your behavior is erratic, which we all agree that maybe if we were in certain circumstances, our behavior would... It could be perceived that way. Yeah, it could be perceived as erratic because we're responding under a stressful condition. Yeah. Well, I guess what is the question is, if we're talking about someone's mental health and our job within the mental health system is to support and to assist and then help them get through that period and just cope effectively, what would recovery actually look like compared to what actually happened for her? So that, I mean, you're touching on, uh, you, you said the word period, like it's an episode, like mm-hmm. it's a temporary where I believe what she's been placed under is a label of for life, yeah. you know, and, and, and how easily somebody can fall under that label of I, I have, I am, I am this, this is who I am for the rest of my life. And not only that, but the conservatorship said, we're going to make your deals for you. And she ends up in Las Vegas, right? For I, I believe years and um, was supposed to begin a new, a new show there. Yeah. It certainly seems like there's a kind of the sense of slave labor there. And if mm-hmm. we're going to think about what recovery would look like, we would definitely have to support individualism. Mm-hmm. You know, what type of life do you want to live, Brittany? Yeah. What have you learned from your experience? How do we get there? Let's try to define your values. Well, your that's, purpose. That, that's that control. You know, the, um, you know, what type of life does she want to live? Boy, she'd really be letting a lot of people down if she doesn't stop, if she stops performing. Think about all the people that you're supporting and their careers, how easily it is to almost manipulate somebody to make your, to force you into continuing to work, even though it's not the healthiest thing for you. So you use that word manipulation. Yeah. Is this current system set up to allow others to manipulate it in a way for their own personal gain? Mm. I would say yes. I mean, certainly appears to be the case here where people are going to financially benefit from having control over her, her life and her career. And do you remember when last podcast we talked about um, the manipulation of words and how complex mm-hmm. our societies yeah. and rhetoric is utilized that way? It's the mental health in general, the words mental health. It's absolutely, to me, being utilized to manipulate. Yeah, and let's go back to some of the media terms at that time. If you watch the documentary, Unfit Mother erratic, crazy, manic, out of control. So the use of those words began to define um, a perception of you know what she was like at that given time. And I have the benefit of being a psychologist for an extended period of time now, being able to see people at different periods in their life, and you get to see how someone recovers naturally. 
And when I mean naturally, you know, without any drugs and you see the power of human potential to be able to learn from trauma, abuse, oppression, huge mistakes. Learning, that someone I mean, the, the learning, I think the, the word that you just learned, used learning is mm-hmm. so important because you have to learn how to overcome those challenges that happen in your life, right? Yeah. So when you identify it as an illness and you need to be on these drugs for life, it's the assumption that what they were going through in that particular episode is going to be repeated. And we don't really have that, that science base to, to make that type of prediction. So I think um, psychiatrists and psychologists are acting outside of their bounds of scientific foundation to make those type of predictions and to see that it can infiltrate into the, the court system and the criminal justice system is really concerning. To protect the individual. This, she's from young doing, and she yeah. was making decisions for herself. Not only that, she was performing. So she had that long period of productivity where she was putting out albums. She had an extended stay in performances in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. She certainly wasn't presenting herself publicly as if she couldn't make independent decisions and couldn't take care of her own finances. But how much of that was being controlled by the people that were controlling her? Yeah, so I I wrote, I mean, part of my notes watching this, I said around the 19-minute mark in the documentary, at a young age, she wanted to feel validated. She wanted to know that others perceived her and took her seriously and that she was making decisions based off of her mind. She, she was autonomous. Yeah. And, and it wasn't always about sexuality, um, but these talk show hosts, every single time she went on with one, brought up, in fact, that really creepy episode where he talked about her physical, you know, that was weird, yeah. strange. They were all bringing up only her beauty. Well, that's the idea of misogyny in in that public space, right? When you're out there, the, the was it the Justin Timberlake relationship, how they blamed her instead of thinking about what maybe his role was. But now and, her true talents are completely minimized. Yeah. You know what's interesting here when we talk about woke culture right now? If you uh, go back 20 years, there was some appalling things that would be able to be said about women um, in the public sphere and how they were presented. So you can kind of understand why the pendulum can swing to the opposite end of the, the spectrum and, mm-hmm. and try to, you know, the, um, the idea of cancel culture and to be so hypersensitive because some of the things that were done to her were absolutely appalling. Like if you try to, you know, personalize it and consider her a family member, like if that was done to your daughter. Oh, I would have to- whooped some ass on the other <laughs> yeah, guys that asked that absolutely. question. I'm serious, yeah. Like, I mean, how, how dare you? Like- and, and so what happens? She responds aggressively when um, there's paparazzi around her, when she's going to visit her own children. And then that is caught on camera. And then that is identified as a mental illness symptom. So, okay, but well, you would do the same potential thing. Hell yes. I, absolutely. Yeah. If she got, she, one of the pictures that the paparazzi took was of her grabbing her child to try to get away from everybody. And she had the baby in the front seat driving out of the parking yeah, lot that's, uh, as if she weren't going to pull over at some point to put the baby back into a child right. seat. But they used that image. All of the images were to paint her as being to, to, to have a men, like to be mentally incapable of right. handling all, her own life. All three of us sitting right here. Did you sit on your parents' lap while they were driving a car when you were young? Yeah. Yes, I did. I did as well. Yeah, and again, it goes back to context too. Mm-hmm. Um, she's surrounded and she's stressed, right? So she's surrounded by what amounts to close to like 100 people and she has a child and she's trying to get out of there, right? So her 
acting under that stressful condition. Fight or flight is really what triggered yeah. it. All you're doing is trying to get the hell out of there. Yeah. And so then, then she's judged as incompetent. And she was going like two miles an hour, you know, with her baby on her, on her lap, like literally two miles an hour because there's a sea of people around her. It takes me two minutes to put my child in a car seat. Two minutes would seem like an eternity when you're surrounded by people that are attacking you and putting cameras in your face. Exactly. I don't blame her. I, I, I would have done the same thing. But listen, I want to bring it back to psychology because to me, this is about culture and context. And can an illness be defined outside of the parameters or understanding of what would be expected under a given search situation in context and within that person's culture? And so if we ask the question here, how would you handle it if you were in that situation? How would you handle it if she was your daughter or you were dating her or she was your sister and people were at the restaurant in your face or infringing on the rights of your children when they were there? Are you telling me that wouldn't push you towards it, violence it in would some push way? Me to, it would push me to be violent, of course. You're going well, to protect your family. Well, yes. then you're erratic and out of there control. You go. Yeah. So let's go back to the psychology of it, right? Okay, so she just spoke in front of an L.A. judge, and she was communicating some of the things that she went under. And in there, she said that she was subjected to psychological tests for four hours a day over a two-week period, which she was told she failed. Um, as a psychologist, would you put anybody under test for four hours a day? That's a long time, man. I feel like you're being grilled at that point. Well, it depends on what the what the tests are and yeah. what they're they're examining. So it's not out of the ordinary to put children under those tests in school systems for four hours a day for a two week period. Sure, day after day after day. There's, really? Yeah, I mean, tell uh, me about the PSA PSSA <laughs> tests. Yeah. <laughs> There, that's. <laughs> we're gonna get into that. <laughs> no, no, maybe there not. have been there have been students pulled for testing, and they've they're gone for hours. Sure. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and maybe not two weeks, but you know, certainly we've seen like kids have to even here at our practice if we're we have a limited amount of time to mm -hmm. do some educational testing like IQ, learning disability. You know, you might do like three hours, go get a break, come back to a couple hours. Um, but what's your ultimate question here? Is there some valid way of trying to determine her competency? And how is that done? Yeah. So, I mean, in the last podcast, we were talking about um, the antidepressants and was it the P PHQ9? PHQ9. Okay. Yeah. So I was borderline. You failed that, I was by the borderline, way. Yeah. I was borderline depressed. Let's not jump. <laughs> um, I could easily, depending on you know what day of the week, maybe get an extra point in there. But if you went under these psychological tests over a period of two weeks, couldn't you put one of those assessments in front of anybody and come up with a test that puts a label on you? Yeah. And, uh, of a disorder? Listen, this is quite out of the ordinary, so we don't know exactly what went on. I'm telling you most diagnoses, psychiatric diagnoses, are only done by clinical interview and observation. Mm -hmm. And so to try to present to the public that we have these strong, valid uh, assessments for DSM diagnoses just wouldn't be accurate, right? It is mostly a social construct that is largely up to the opinion of the individual. You can go to five different psychi psychiatrists, mm -hmm. and psychologists tend to be you know different. I don't want to lump them together, um, but when we're talking about the medical profession and these medical evaluations that were be that were done for her, you can go to five different psychiatrists, present the same information, maybe with a little twist to it, and they're going to interpret that information quite differently to the point where it's not out of the realm of 
normalcy for you to get five different interpretations of that behavior. And that's the problem with the diagnostic system. That's what's scary to me. I mean, I find that, I find that very it scary. Should be. It yeah. should be scary to everyone who's listening to this podcast. But then there's no, there's no credibility behind it. If this conservatorship were based off of that, and let's say they only went to one, which I don't know, right? We don't, I don't have that information handy. But, and that individual diagnosed uh, her with um, manic depression mm-hmm. or bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. And that's, they're like, well, that's okay. Now, you, you, now she can be... This is going to go through because she has been diagnosed. How, did she was she able to go to other, you know, other psychologists? Was she so second opinion, third opinion, yes. fourth opinion? Yeah. yeah, we don't know. Let me bring up some um, stories from my personal life. So this is before I became a psychologist, and I said in one of my previous podcasts is that I did work on a children's psychiatric hospital, and on the children's psychiatric unit, I learned a lot about how the mental health system worked. Let me tell you how children got diagnosed with bipolar disorder on that unit. And that was ages five to 10. I would witness the psychiatrist pull the kid off the unit and ask only a couple of questions. What's your name? What's your birthday? What's today's date? What time is it? Why are you here? And that was it. I would later read an entire report based on anecdotal information, observation from other people that would label him with a psyche or her with a psychiatric diagnosis of bipolar disorder outside of any evaluation of the kid. Now, at the time, I would think that that's maybe just representation or it only represented that one individual psychiatrist or two psychiatrists who I saw that happening with. Maybe it was a very poor treatment center. But after I left there, I went to juvenile probation and worked in a specialized unit, specialized mental health unit. So it was kids uh, over the age of 10 Mm -hmm. who were in the juvenile justice system. So they committed a crime, but also were labeled with a major mental health diagnosis. I saw the same thing repeated. So they would be provided a diagnosis based on an interview that was less than five minutes. That was asking the kid their name, why they're here, basic information. And then the doctor would leave, charge for that time, placed a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, and that kid was labeled and placed on medication in the courts. That was the system I came up in. And even to this day, we'll still have, we'll still have teenagers come into our center who were recently hospitalized. Maybe they were self-injurious. They had thoughts of suicide. They're struggling with their mood. They come in. They were told upon discharge that they have bipolar disorder and they're going to require medication for life. Now, don't tell me that that's scientific. Don't Mm -mm. tell me that's valid or reliable. Mm -mm. But that is the system. And that's the system in which we are operating in. And unless this is more widely known, there's going to be no changes. And so there hasn't been any changes since you were... It's worse. It's worse. It's worse. What, they don't ask your date of birth anymore? (laughs) I mean, really, I mean, there has to be some idea or some attempt at... A version of what I'll call recovery, for back of a letter, a lack of a better word. If someone's going through a temporary episode or something in their personal life is making them act in a certain manner, you know, how 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 you you just put this label on somebody for the rest of their life? That's insanity to me. I agree, and um, I try to I try myself to try to understand how 
an intelligent physician, and it's mostly done by medical professionals, could make such a claim so quickly. Isn't there an oath that everybody takes about, you first, know, first do no harm. First do no harm. Yeah. And, you know, it becomes, it becomes a, a very complex discussion because it also goes into medical education, psychological education, and how you use the DSM um, under the assumption that it is sound science. And the DSM, uh, for those that don't know accurately. The Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which mm-hmm. is the Bible of psychiatry. So basically, it's the development of clinical disorders. All the disorders that we're talking about and what we use pretty freely in society. And briefly explain before you move on how it was, how it was created. I think there's a, there's a bit of a history there, correct? There is, and um, I think it's going to be appalling to our listening audience about how these diagnoses were developed. I think the best thing to do is to understand that it, it became, or it, it developed very early on in, in the early 1950s as just some attempt to categorize what psychiatrists and psychologists were seeing in clinical practice mm-hmm. that required clinical intervention. Putting a label on something. Putting yeah. a label yeah. on something to uh, try to categorize it, yep. right? Yep. Which I think in there's see that makes that there's positive makes sense value to me there like you need to put some type of um you know label on something just to understand what maybe that person's going through at that moment right yep and i think within within time right um you begin to say that there see there's very there's political forces at play here in the development so let's go to 1980 um that's when the dsm-3 was developed and that's when we're seeing a, a wide jump in what is identified as a psychiatric illness or disorder, including like conditions like homosexuality, you know, at that time and, and talking about things as a social construct was a psychiatric disorder. So these, these things harm, these labels harmed people, but it jumped to 265 in the DSM three from 100, approximately 100 in the DSM one. Wow. Do you know how these disorders were identified and the criteria were developed? No. So you would think that there's this, I don't know, clinical trials, a lot of research, a lot of data to try to inform what deviates from normality in society. There's none. It was about 12 people of a certain socioeconomic status, psychiatrists, mostly male, certain culture, basically sat down at a table and they were voting they were brainstorming what they see, building off the original DSM, and they were having debates and discussions about what criteria should be 12 involved. People? 12 people. All white men? I don't know specifically. Yeah. I'm but curious. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll look into that. I, I want to look into this. Yeah. I know there was one woman in Harvard, from Harvard at the time, who um, became rather outspoken about the process mm-hmm. later in life. Yeah. She discussed it as similar to um, like ordering food, <laughs> right? So someone uh, across the table would say, I prefer Chinese. Well, that explains all the apps right now to get your medication sent to you by, uh, you know, ordering online. It's like the grub hub for psychiatry. Yeah, but listen to this. You say that you're, you know, you prefer Chinese food. You prefer uh, Mexican. I say Italian. And then there's a process back and forth where, you know, they ultimately, you know, determine burgers at the end of the day after some, like, negotiation process. And she said the one who usually won out was just the one with the largest personality. 
Oh, because people began yeah. to take a step back and so that's, say, that, I'm in the minority that's, here. That's groupthink. That is groupthink. That, yeah. And that happens in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. And you're easily influenced by the guy who's the most uh, aggressive and, and vocal. Yeah. So I don't think people really understand how arbitrary this was defined and developed from a select few And people. I will say that usually ends up being a, a male. Um, it's very rare for a female to be able to take on that role and and um, and control a conversation, especially if it's just one woman in a room with eleven men. Yeah. Um, that, that would be an impossible to to get that voice across. And I would argue that you know women were are more victims of this than than men generally mm-hmm. in society. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how it starts, but okay. that set the foundation because later versions of the DSM were unwilling to make any changes to what was originally developed. They were trying to just stabilize it, but let's let's look about let's talk about how the number of diagnoses continued to grow as uh, the pharmaceutical companies began to influence the development of these, and the criteria for what is defining a disorder becomes much more broad. Mm-hmm. We go from two hundred and sixty-five disorders in nineteen eighty up to three hundred and sixty-five in the year two thousand which is the height of the pharma dominance. So, yeah, I think in a previous podcast, we touched on when Prozac came out, mm-hmm. 87, 88. Yeah, 365 separate disorders. Mm-hmm. And try to, be, try to enter into the field and be trained as a mental health clinician and try to fit people into all these categories. Well, it's de- near impossible. And around that time period, depression itself had multiple diagnoses, correct? Oh. There still is, yeah. right? Trying to define a mood disorder in terms of uh, the DSM is nearly impossible. So you just don't do it, right? If you're gonna, when we're gonna advance the training of our clinicians, we just push the DSM to the side as invalid, and we get back to trying to describe the person. Because the other political piece of this was psychiatrists and psychiatry as a field at that time trying to legitimize themselves within the medical specialty field. And if you can identify discrete illnesses um, with clear biological causes, you're legitimized in your place in society. And here we are in the year 2021, and we're completely abandoning that idea. So I want to bring it back to Britney Spears for a second. Now, she obviously gets one of those diagnoses, right? That's part of the conservatorship. Because of that, partially because of that, if not fully because of her diagnosis, they allow individuals to control her life. And in that control, can we reiterate exactly what they controlled one more time? Can we list just how bad this was is why we actually are talking about it today? Yeah, from what I understand, she was forced medication. She doesn't have control over her finances. She is working um, for other people because she doesn't get to keep any of, those, uh, any of that money. From what I understand, it's con- completely controlled by other entities. Um, She's unable during her childbearing years to conceive. She's viewed incompetent. I'm sure this uh, impacts her ability to um, be an active member in her children's life. And that's just, you know, from the outside. Like, this this isn't anything that we know the specifics specifics of right now. But to me, from the outside, it looks like, you know, this diagnosis has allowed you know, others to take complete control of her life and it's slave labor. So can, can something positive come out of this? You know, it often takes somebody who is, you know, very well known in, in popular culture to 
draw attention to something that a lot of people aren't aware of. So what 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 can be what can be like I don't know what can be done or or what should more people be trying to understand what happened here so that narrative doesn't switch towards something else um, that is not going to make any improvements to the current mental health system. Yeah, I think you make a good point because it highlights injustice. Yeah, and when it highlights injustice and people are um, appalled and can't believe something like that can happen, but it's been happening it forces for, change for over seventy years. Right, but in this case, she's. It, it doesn't happen very often with somebody so young, as young as her. I don't know. From what but, Roger was sharing in terms of previous stories, um, I feel this forced medication. Yeah, so happened. So I, I think when what, it, let's talk about individual no, rights. Do you want what, what let's, I want to there? What, yeah, what I want to tell Kelly is that it it doesn't usually happen to someone with this much power. Okay, and oh, this, yeah. and, and this person, this a person like her who's in the public eye. Uh, with the use of social media is you have the ability to connect to pe- with people around the world yep. who have been harmed by this approach. Yeah. And I think traditionally the voices of these people are, are muted mm-hmm. and it's very easy just to um, marginalize them in society and say it's their mental illness. Yeah. And if anything, it brings attention to the harms of the system and how individual liberty, individual rights, and freedom can be violated. So I want to I want to bring up a point. I want your both of you to comment on this. I was at uh, a gathering uh, over you know over the weekend, and they had asked what you know what the next topic would be, and I talked about Britney Spears. So I explained what I'd researched so far about the conservatorship, and um, many people at the party were the same people that over the course of this last year, and I'm, were that basically stated, um, you know, wear a mask, get vaccinated. They they had no, they were basically defending, you know, being controlled by a system. And yet when I brought up Britney Spears and I said, how do you feel about her being controlled? How do you feel about her being forced to do things? It was like 100% of them said, that is terrible and that should never happen. So, I just said, well, in the context of things, when arbitrary rules are brought up, when things are just made, why are you? Why, why are we following? What is it about control and independence? How do how do people not understand that? I want my independent liberties. That's what makes us healthy. Make to think for ourselves. Well, I think it's a challenging question because um, when you talk about something like a public health crisis or um, a pandemic your individual decisions potentially could influence somebody else, right? That's the message. But it is a slippery slope, right? Um, what are you willing to give up uh, as far as individual rights and freedoms for the good of the group? And what is good for the group? How is it defined? In the particular case of Britney Spears, this is an individual though, right? This is other people protecting her from herself. So the question is, how is that defined? How is that identified where somebody can lose their own individual rights? Who do we trust? Because I don't know, I'd say something were to happen to to myself and I would have an episode. How can I prevent some type of control being placed upon me um, in this way? Unfortunately, I don't think you can um, because it's open to misinterpretation. Um, When the entire diagnostic system is fraudulent, pseudoscience, influenced by bias and, and financial conflict of interest. And it's created by a very small percentage of, of people in a particular field. And it has become this powerful in our culture. 
where people are assuming there is strong scientific backing for all these conditions and all these disorders, that's a lot of trust to hand over to a clinician in the year 2021 Mm -hmm. to like really trust that that person has done their historical research and sees struggle and episodes within a certain context. None that I could ever recommend. Yeah, so um, you're reminding me of something that you've said through social media about if you have a family member or a friend who's struggling with um, mental health, uh, you would you can't recommend that them enter into the industry because it, um, I, I'm not going to use your words 100% accurately, but you, you wouldn't recommend them going into it because uh, they come out of it mostly worse than when they entered it. I define it as the system. The system, right? Yes. Because the system is broad. The system includes the diagnostic categorization system, Yep. Um, how the clinicians are educated, mm-hmm. and they're trying to fit people into categories that aren't valid or reliable. So that means they have to take you and what you present, and it's got to go through a filter system into what I think I know. And I don't trust the system. And if we look at any other healthcare system that exists, tell me which one where when people enter into it, they're more likely to turn what is traditionally, historically, an episodic condition and make it a lifelong chronic illness. That is modern-day mental health care. And so that's why I can't recommend that someone go into the system. Now, the unfortunate thing about the story with Britney Spears is it was during a period of time, the 2000s, where they were trying to identify mental illness as a brain-related condition. Mm -hmm. Now, we've addressed this about underlying brain chemical abnormalities and how that, you know, has, has no scientific backing or validity, but it influenced probably the decisions that were made by the courts at that time. She's mentally ill. Therefore, there's an underlying chemical imbalance that needs to be corrected. We can't trust her with children, with decision-making, with finances. And so when they're acting under that system, which is still predominant today, and when I say it's getting worse, I'm just saying it's expanding. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, more, there's more clinicians out there with a poor understanding of, of how these diagnoses and the treatments that are involved have poor efficacy and safety concerns, and they're just acting like a checklist, right? It almost feels like it's the industrial age of like treating mental illness. And there's more individuals being placed under quote-unquote care. Yeah, like the definitions of normal mm-hmm. uh, have been restricted to such an extent that we're just seeing the increase of psychiatric medications, which cause problems themselves. So individuals that had diagnoses like I did when at a young age will have a harder time moving on with their lives no matter what, even if they go off of the drugs because of that diagnosis. Definitely. I mean, you're, you're a great example of, of uh, validity and reliability, right? It wasn't a valid diagnosis at the time, and it wouldn't have been reliable over time. Um, so what the best thing that you did was you recognized that it made you feel horrible you didn't trust the diagnosis at the time. You made an individual decision and you stopped. And then you were able to move on. It was an episode at, your, at the time of your life where you needed to heal. Are there any of those assessments that take context into play? Like, um, are you going through a period of this? Are you going through a period of that? Are you going through a period of this in your life that could potentially help add you some You keep validity? asking the wrong questions, right? Yeah. Because remember, what, how was the assessment developed? Oh, The assessment was developed to assess what? A disorder. Right. How was the disorder developed? 
by the pharmaceutical industry. Or some were. Some were. Other 12 men sitting at a table who were yeah. also, you know, influenced by the pharmaceutical industry as well as many other factors, right? So when you're trying to assess a criteria for a condition that isn't valid, what is the assessment doing? Yeah, I understand. But most of those, I mean, in order to really understand the context, it just comes down to spending time with somebody and, and connecting with them and having conversations and really truly understanding what's going on over time, life, over time. Right. Yeah. Tell me how you can learn what someone is going through without the advantage of time. Now that's not to mean that there aren't certain conditions in society that are crisis oriented and there needs some stabilization process. I'm just telling you, we have a lot to learn about how to do that, mm-hmm. right? You might be able to induce a pharmaceutical and stabilize a crisis situation. And that person may never go through that same episode ever again. Mm-hmm. You know, that happens. Right? That's why it's so important to rely on science and try to understand what is happening for that person. I'm going to tell you that so many people who um, experimented with drugs or became drug dependent, their presentation during the time of using drugs was misinterpreted as a psychiatric illness. And I wonder what was happening with Britney Spears at that time. Was she partying? Was she experimenting with drugs? She's in her 20s. She's in Hollywood. She just came out of a period where she was used and abused by culture and society, right? Did she try to relive her, you know, age 18, 19, 20, 21? Like a lot of us kind of go through that experimental period. Was she trying to kind of relive that period at age 25, but in the spotlight? Mm-hmm. You know, these things matter. So when I'm looking at this story about Britney Spears and I watching the documentary, she must have said, several times throughout the happiest that she was, was when she was in control. In other words, even as a little girl, she felt that what she was doing was not for anyone else, but her. And she was really proud of what she did. And at some point, in my opinion, that completely transformed and changed, whether it be the paparazzi surrounding her, whether it be the the fact that she was gaining all these followers, all this attention, I don't know exactly when, but once she realized the moment that she was no longer in control, that's when things turned. Am I wrong? It's a really good point. And we're kind of talking about um, this concept of, of freedom and your ability to control your own life in a way where your decisions, whether they're right, whether they're wrong, are completely within your control. And the emotional turmoil and pain a person must feel who has to live a life for somebody else, for someone else's gain, for someone else's purpose. And I can understand how everyone was trying to monetize Britney Spears, whether it's the paparazzi, whether it's her managers, her agencies, her family, Everyone financially benefits from her. And and when she first started, it must have been for the love of creating, for the love of singing, Mm -hmm. dancing, acting. And it was just something that she loved to do. And at some point, then um, it becomes about everyone else. And before long, when you're as popular in culture as she is, you begin to live your life for the approval of others. And I can see that that certainly within that context, would create a lot of emotional pain and struggle. Media is influencing us, right? We just, we watched mm-hmm. a documentary. 
Uh, we see what's happening on the news, but we're going to use what we understand to be what she's gone under as um, as as a talking, as a discussion point. Yeah. I think we want to use what is happening with Britney Spears to highlight problems that exist in how someone may be evaluated mm-hmm. for a psychiatric disorder and then the potential consequences of that. And so if we can be able to educate the public to understand that psychiatric disorders are rather arbitrarily defined constructs that are socially defined and not clear biological illnesses, then we begin to advance the conversation. And we can critically evaluate the process that took place to develop them and be able to help people view what they're experiencing and the struggles they may have in life from a new perspective. Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you are considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.